This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl. It's time to get educated on your Second Amendment rights. Welcome to two full hours of Gun Owners Radio. Your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Dramisi, and Michael Schwartz, will teach you about firearms, self-defense, and the laws that affect your rights to keep and bear arms. Visit GunOwnersRadio.com with questions to learn how to become a sponsor of Gun Owners Radio and get involved. Together, we will win. Now here's your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Dramisi, and Michael Schwartz on The Answer San Diego. Hi, folks. Welcome to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The Answer. All right. You of all day, Buffalo and New York have proven again that gun laws don't work. Gun control laws just make it harder for law-abiding citizens to protect themselves. Here's an idea. Instead of making it harder for bad guys to get guns, which doesn't work, what if we try making it easier for good guys to get guns? How do we do that? You join a Second Amendment activist group like San Diego County Gun Owners. SDCGO makes it activism easy. Working together, we're getting more pro-gun officials elected. Join today. San Diego County Gun Owner Radio.com, San Diego County Gun Owners Radio, or Gun Owners.com. Hey, join today. Yeah, SDCGO.org as well. And go there and check out Gun Prom. Gun Prom is Saturday, so it's six days away. Uh, it's a week from yesterday. Um, and you're still tickets available, but very, very few. So if you if you if you want to go, you gotta go buy right now. Gunprom.com. Still have a couple tickets. Uh we you I think yeah, you can even buy a table this late. Um but uh, but hurry up, <clears throat> hurry up! <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's go time. So uh, we're gonna have uh, over seven hundred people, over seven hundred people on Saturday night uh, are gonna join us. Uh, Action Jackson, you're gonna be there, aren't you, bud? Yep. You're gonna be there. You got your own table. Yeah. You must have sold a you lot eat, of lot eat, of lemonade. You're to gonna eat all by yourself. Uh, no. No one's coming. You just you got your own table. Hi. You should get. You should bring some guests. Yeah, you should be nice. Come on. At least bring mom and dad. Uh, Make sure you charge them. <laughs> Don't let them come for free. So go to gunprom.com. G U N P R O M. Easier said than done. Gunprom.com. So a little bit of breaking news. I didn't prepare uh, Brendan. Let me try one more time. A little bit of breaking news. He's not there. Oh, well. So the uh, looks like there's a quote unquote bipartisan. Uh, bill moving through uh the senate probably go to the house before too long um details are not as detailed as they should be <laughs> but uh one thing that's that's kind of clear now there's some bad and some good what do you, oh, what, it's not as bad as it could have been that's that's the good and the the good is uh uh that's the good it's not as bad as it could have been did you did you take a look at it at all joe yeah What's uh, the one of the so, positives that stuck out to me is there's no gun ban, right? So yeah, I thought so too. I was kind of imp- in fact, I kind of, I wasn't totally against, you know, most anything in that in that bill. Were you? Well, there's a lot of. What did you think, Joe? What? Did, well, it's, it's philosophically, it's a bad thing. It's like John Cornyn's pretty good, I think, and he was the Republican yeah. part of the bipartisan thing. Yeah. This could be a play just to, because we were going to lose something. Americans were going to lose and suffer over this. We were going to lose some rights. And this could be uh, 
an uncharacteristically smart Republican move to, uh, okay, deflate some of this emotion and stuff. And, okay, here, we'll pass this. Because they talked about um, – my, I think the worst thing I saw was money for uh, for the states to encourage red flag laws. Right. Which uh, that, again, philosophically is disgraceful. They, Republicans of any kind should not be supporting that. And and it was it was vague. Well, that's and again, that might have been intentional. But if you're going to support that, I mean, all right, if you wanted to say, okay, well, we need to talk about red flag laws, I, I would say, okay, if you want to really talk, because that's the thing, and, and I talk about this in my article, we never really talk. It's never really a discussion. It's right. always Democrats demand this, Republicans roll over for that. Always. <laughs> That's always how it goes. That's the the old and, joke is if uh, if Democrats uh, if if Democrats uh, put out a bill to burn down the White House, Republicans would uh, demand that we phase it in over three years. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Heads I win, tails you lose. It's it's always like that. But you know, if you're going to talk about red flag laws, okay, let's make it so that it's extremely difficult to abuse these things because right yeah. now it's very easy to abuse these things. And if you guess wrong, then there should be a price to pay on the government side, on the state side. If you wrongly accuse somebody, wrongly seize their guns, then when that gets straightened out, that stuff comes back immediately, yeah, like they that a, day. Or, or they, and they get like a million dollar settlement. Well, Exa well but, no, and there there should know? be some incentive for them to do it right. And Don't right they now, already have no that? If you if you're no no you get it's a fact really eventually. Now here's the thing, back, but. and I was interviewed on Channel Eight this morning, um, and and she did a really good job. I forget the reporter's name. I wish I, I wish I remember because she actually did a really good job. So the red flag laws. It's actually a very broad term, and the but the only red flag law that they've created are gun violence restraining orders. So people are using red flag laws and gun violence restraining orders kind of interchangeably, but but a gun violence restraining order is a type of red flag law. So it made me kind of wonder: is there a red flag law that I would that we would support that gun owners would be okay with? Because right now, I got to tell you, when when the gun violence restraining orders came out, we sat down with an open mind. And said, "All right, explain to us, uh, you know, what's going on here." And quickly, quickly, you know, saw the the enormous uh, problems with gun violence restraining orders. But is there a type of red flag law that that we would that we would support or be okay with? Well, at least consider anyway. And and for me personally, I you know, I might consider something if there's really strong safeguards in there that put the burden on the state or whoever's you know taking this action. Uh, so that you make it almost impossible to abuse or extremely difficult to abuse. And if it gets abused, there should be a penalty for it. Yeah. The way it is now, it's, it's not that way at all. And you know what sucks? Right now, somebody's listening to this and going, Gun Owners Radio <laughs> likes red flag laws. That's not what we're saying. you know. And, and that goes back to what you were saying just a minute ago, Joe, is there's not a discussion. Mm -hmm. There's just, you know, uh, and, and I, uh, I got to tell you, I don't want to budge an inch, um, but I do uh, – you know, as far as gun rights, I don't want. I'm not. I don't want to budge one inch. Not one inch. There's nothing wrong with my Second Amendment, um, but I do want to figure out what we can do um, to, you know, severely, uh, you know, inhibit the ability for a criminal to be destructive. And that, I, that's a very good statement you made. There's absolutely nothing wrong with my Second Amendment, and I think that needs to be the mantra. Totally. Seriously. And, and one of the other things that I think we've we're, we've done successfully, or we're starting to do a little bit better, is you know okay, so the anti-gun folks came out and said, ah, we're going to ban guns. You know, woohoo, big opportunity for us to ban guns like right. we've always wanted to. 
And typically what people do is they, well, you know, a clip and a magazine are not the same thing. We've done a better job of saying, hey, you know what? Mm-hmm. The, the, the big money lobbyists that are, you know, the anti-gun big money lobbyists are preventing real change from happening in, like, for example, the mental health industry. You know, and they need they need to stop that. Mm-hmm. You know that that this this political agenda of trying to bat, ban guns is preventing real and meaningful change. Like, for example, security in schools, and that's another that was another positive piece. I thought that's Joe, yeah. what I liked that I, is hardening the schools. Yeah, well, again, but that's not uh, if if you want to really do something, the yeah. the fastest, cheapest, most effective thing you could do right now is get rid of these stupid no gun or gun free gun free zones at schools. Yep. Mm-hmm. That that's the quickest, cheapest, easiest, most effective thing they could do right now. Right. And they don't even talk about that. I, like I said, for, I would like to see the Republicans sit down and say, "Okay, fine, let's talk." Let's start off with how would lifting these gun-free zones look? What's that look like? So just to recap real quick, um, and then we're going to go to uh, Jonathan Peck, who uh, was one of the candidates for sheriff, and I, I really can't wait to interview him. Um, but real real quick, positive, that there's no gun ban in this bill, which is a victory. Um, negative is they're talking about red flag laws, but positive, they didn't really go into details. That could be a positive or a negative, though. Positive, they're talking about school security. Positive, they're talking about fixing the mental health industry. Um, you know, not too bad. There was a negative. There was something about waiting periods and under 21 and, you know. Well, you couldn't buy a long rifle. Well, uh, it was an enhanced background An enhanced check background check for, yeah. 21 to 18. So who's coming up next? I got Jonathan Dick, Peck. I got Dick Heller. No, oh, Dick Heller. <laughs> Dick Heller, which uh, the Heller decision from the Supreme Court enormously. I got I got Jonathan Peck on the brain. Sorry. Don't touch that dial. This is Gun Owners Radio, FM 961 AM 1170. The answer. All right, folks, welcome back. You're listening to Gun Owners Radio. Right here on FM 961 AM 1170. The answer. The D.C. v. Heller case gave a definite answer to whether the Second Amendment provides an individual right to keep and bear arms. Up next is Dick Heller from this landmark case. But first, if you have legal matters that involve firearms, then you need to call California firearms lawyer John Dillon especially if you have questions about red flag laws, gun registration, gun transportation, or maybe you just need to know that your guns are California compliant. Call our trusted firearms attorney, John Dillon. John Dillon specializes in California gun laws. Call 760-642-7150 or visit the website at dillonlawgp.com. Back in 2008, the Supreme Court made a huge decision when they decided at the uh, it was the Heller versus DC case that uh, yes um, the Second Amendment is in fact an individual right which means it's a civil right mm-hmm. before then there was a huge discussion um, that was really really only a few decades old anti gunners were, were referring to it as a collective right um, which basically meant it really wasn't much of a right at all and thanks to this decision they uh, you know it was corrected it was corrected by the Supreme Court. Never to be reversed, and uh, the Heller part is a guy named Dick Heller, and we we're I can't tell you how happy I am to have you on to interview you, Dick. How are you? <laughs> hey, you guys pump me up, make me feel good. Thank good. You. Well, thank you so much for uh, 
for stepping up and being being the man in the arena because man that i mean it's what is it like to be a star well what is it like to be <laughs> let me let me kind of paint that a little bit even you know more i mean this is the well, definitive biggest point. second amendment supreme court case ever 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 what's it like being that guy can you hear me am i muted no go ahead yeah okay i tried to stop you halfway through oh to let you know when like on june the uh let's see oh that was uh, june the 7th nobody knew my name hardly and on june the 8th it was like a rock star <laughs> well what it was like was the fight the gun fight started in 1976 so 76 yeah. 86 96, 06. It only took 40 years to get there, maybe 30 years to get there. Right. So the, now, when you say the fight, that's when you that's when you were wronged by DC. It was in 1976. Correct. So talk about that. Take us through the timeline. We we got you. We we got plenty of time. I really want people to understand how important this was. So let's start with the timeline. What happened in 1976? Well. Uh, just about 200 years, almost to the day of July the 4th, 1776, I moved into D.C. So I asked myself, is there a coincidence there? Is someone, <laughs> is God looking over my yeah. shoulder? Uh, and, and then a whole lot of other things that happened that just, they, they couldn't happen by accident, you know? So I moved in and... Uh, Turned on my television set, and my favorite uh, TV program back then was, most people probably can't relate to this, uh, was Matt Dillon, Gunsmoke. I can relate. I was going to say, Dave. Dave I can relate. You're talking Dave's language. One of my favorite, favorite series. <laughs> so we're on the same page. The dude was tall, right? Massive. He, all man, uh, to be such a good shot at distance, he had to have a big gun, right? Yeah. So I said I was just out of the military, oh, let's see, um, a few years, I don't know, five or six maybe. And I said, hey, I could have one of those Matt Dillon guns. <laughs> I lived in D.C., so I drove across the state line into what was then America, Uh <laughs> It's now called Maryland, yeah. and uh, I bought a gun, had a three-day wait. I do remember that. Uh, after three days was up, uh, I drove back out of uh, the D.C. swamp into America, picked up my gun, and drove it back across the state line and kept it at home. Now, that really sounds alien to the way we've, we're so restricted today, doesn't it? Yeah, but well, absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. Whole different world, especially here in California. Oh my God! Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, that was in July, and then three months later, August, September, they passed a bill that said everybody has to turn in their guns. Uh, they had this complete gun ban. I said, "Wait a minute." Just in D.C. Just in D.C., 1976. Actually, they passed it in 75, and it, and it went into effect in 76, I think. Um, so I've got this. If you see uh, a, bus, a Buntline Western uh, handgun, it is a work of art. You've got a 9-inch phallic barrel. You've got a cylinder that is pregnant with nine rounds 
of uh, 22 Magnum, which is almost the equivalent of a of a nine millimeter, and it has this beautiful hand polished wooden uh, grip on it. Right, it's a work of art. And they said, "Wait a minute." I said, "Wait a minute." They want me to throw this away, turn it in, or go to jail. And I said, I don't like those options. Um, there's got to be another way. And I hadn't found it at the time, uh, but I, it really bothered me. I mean, I'm a law-abiding citizen, ex paratrooper. We obey the law. You know, we're the good guys. And um, so it took me a couple of days to really try to wrap my head around it, and I made a very intellectual decision. I finally decided one night, ain't doing it. <laughs> Good for you. So, But you didn't just not comply. You took another step. Well, here's what I had to do. My brother lived uh, in a suburb right across the line in America, uh, in Silver Spring, Maryland, and... Um, it's not America anymore. It's uh, <laughs> the Soviet state of Maryland. And uh, so I was able to keep it there. And uh, then I, all I did was drink, drive fast cars, drink beer, and chase beautiful women. and uh, Or fast women in beautiful cars. It was so long ago <laughs> that I've kind of forgotten which it was. And not always in, and not always in that order, I'm guessing. Not always. <laughs> so... In, in D.C., back before we had the Internet, we had these things called phone books that were about two inches thick. <laughs> that I remember. Really? Yeah. If you ask a guy today, and back then, all we they laugh at you and say, we only had telephones that, that had a string on them that attached to the wall, right? <laughs> but right. That's where we were then. So I went down, opened up the phone book, and I went to the think tank section. And there's a there's a couple of hundred think tanks in there, and I just started calling and and studying them and talking to people and find out what they were about. And back then, before virtual meetings, a lot of them had lunch uh, lunch lectures. Um, so I attended uh, Cato and Heritage, and uh, one of the progressive ones, and uh, I became a, a student of what politics was all about because like i say all it is those three things i didn't know what politics was but i know i needed to learn something because they wanted my new work of art and um, we found out that um, uh, I, I was able to figure out which which think tanks were oriented towards freedom and which were uh, not freedom and uh, so we moved forward a few years and so that was 76. And 1992 or three, uh, I was still single. I had this big house on Capitol Hill, a few thousand square feet. So I rented some rooms out with people I worked with. And I, I met this guy who was a combat pilot, and he studied law in Vietnam on his spare time. So in Virginia, they call that reader at law. So he, by the way, was an Olympic shooter on the 1980s Olympic shooting team, hmm. was supposed to go to Russia. So uh, he, uh, he was a pilot, and I'm a pilot, so we got off to a real good start. And uh, 
So I got home from work, and he came in, and he says, okay, I've moved my clothes in. I said, what do I do with my guns? And I said, yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, nobody had a gun, right? Right. So he didn't know the law that was the D.C. And And he was strange, for sure. Yeah. So... I said, yeah, right. He says, no, I've got, I've got guns. And I said, really? What kind of gun? And he says, a lot of guns, a trunk full. And then I laughed again. Yeah, right. <laughs> because in my world, you didn't have a gun, right? In his world, as an Olympic shooter, he had a trunk full of guns in his car. And uh, I said, I started panicking then. And I said, dude, you've got a trunk load of guns? I mean, I broke out in a cold sweat. I said, you've got to get those guns out of town. Uh, You can't have a gun in D.C. And he said, yeah, right. (laughs) Jeez. Because it's it's not, it's, it it sounds unbelievable, even in this day and age, you know? Wait till till you get to the next part. So he said, no, really, I've got a trunk load of guns. I said, dude, we're going to go to jail. You've got to get them out of this country. I mean, out of the city. I said, it's a jailable, it's a prison sentence. And he was a student of law and a pilot. Uh, so he sat down on, his, on the couch, and he put his head in his hands, and he almost started crying. He says, I can't believe this. He says, here I am in the freest country in the world, in the capital city of the freest country in the world, and I can't have my guns. And... Uh, he said, we've got to do something about this. I'll, take, I'll leave tomorrow and go to Virginia and take him to my storage shed, which he did. And uh, so when we got together again, he says, look, I'm a student at law. I'm going to go to law school, and I'm going to learn how to fight this. And uh, I said, okay, and I'm with you. I'm going to go get a government job uh, where they'll give me a gun as a, as a federal cop, and we'll fight this together. And that's when we came very quickly, bonded brothers of the gun. That's okay, awesome. before you go any farther with that, bud, we're going to take a quick break, come back with Dick Heller right here on Gun Owners Radio, FM 961 AM 1170. The answer. All right, folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio. FM 961 AM 1170. The answer. Well, do you have jewelry that you just don't wear anymore? Maybe a watch that's just gathering dust? Well, what if you went to Leo Hamels and sold it? You could use the cash to get a gun or take that pistol class you've been talking about. When you sell your used jewelry or watches to Leo Hamel, not only do you get the best deal, you are also supporting the Second Amendment. One of the easiest ways to support the Second Amendment is to support our partners like Leo Hamill. Call 619-299-1500 and visit their showroom on San Diego Avenue and always get awesome service at Leo's. All right, we're talking to Dick Heller from Heller versus D.C., the very, very famous and extremely important Second Amendment decision that came out in 2008. So you guys decided to sue... 
Um, you know, did it? Uh, I mean, did you have any idea what you, you know what, what you were getting into? I mean, financially, and did you ever think that one day, hey, this has got to go to the Supreme Court, or what? What were your expectations at the time? Well, I think back up just one step. What one of the things that that really uh, got me motivated was I looked around and. I realized that if I went to work for the government, that they would give me a gun. But then when I'm not working to protect them, I could not go home to protect myself. Yeah. And that's when it hit me. Hypocritical. Uh, you know, you, ha- you come up with sound bites in your life, right? That's when I realized, and it was very apropos at the time, uh, we lived in a two-tiered society already back in the early 2000s, not unlike the old Soviet Union. Hmm. And, and, and it's just gone downhill from there. Um, so then we, it took, um, what happened is since I had uh, uh, my buddy Dane, the, the attorney, Dane von Breikenrichardt, who is also a medical doctor, he said, I want to go to law school and when he when he completed law school, uh, we <laughs> we put him together on on one paycheck. We put him into law school and worked together with just one paycheck, and uh, we got him some scholarships. But when he got his degree, he didn't even want to take the bar. He says, "I have no interest in the bar. I just wanted to learn how to structure a case that we could win." And he came up with the idea that the only place we could win because of the decisions of the other circuit courts was we have to do it in the D.C. circuit. Um, It's the only place that had not had a Second Amendment decision yet. And we had, obviously, some favorable um, uh, judges at the time, and Kavanaugh was there at the time, and that was helpful overall. That's interesting. Uh, So Justice Kavanaugh, who's on, on, on the Supreme Court right now, was uh, a part of the uh, the same uh, district. Uh, he was in the D.C. Circuit at that time. The circuit, yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, he made a major decision uh, for us on Heller II, uh, which involved the, the ARs, ARA case. Um, so when we... We worked with Cato, and they were building a case, and we were building a case. And since we were uh, connected, uh, we'd met each other. We joined our cases, and it just so happened. Uh, boy, it's hard to keep a long story short. But ultimately, uh, and maybe it's a story for the book, uh, five of the other plaintiffs uh, were dismissed, and we had gone down to register my handgun, which you couldn't register, but we went down and got rejected, and I got, I asked the person down at the registration, I said, oh, uh, I can't register a handgun, okay, could you write the regulation down on my application and put your name on there and your phone number, and I'm folding up this piece of paper and I'm walking out the door like I just robbed the bank because I have rejection evidence, right? <laughs> and that, that's what's going to help you in your case. So I'll tell you what. Let me ask you a couple. Of, I have a couple of kind of kind of do some quick quick question answer 
Uh, just some things I've always wondered. So, okay, so the uh, you've talked about a lot of people and a couple of different organizations. When did NRA jump in? Uh, they came in and uh, for Heller two in a big way. Heller two and three in a big way. And tell, okay, so quickly, what's Heller one was what? I just wanted my gun. Okay, and and what was the result of Heller one? Heller one produced that magnificent Justice Antonin Scalia decision that said that handgun or firearms ownership of any kind of gun, basically, uh, is a constitutionally enumerated individual civil right. And what was it like after Heller won when that decision came out? What was it? What, what did that? What was that feeling? Describe that feeling. <laughs> well, with all the news coverage. It was, it was very nerve-wracking because that's a totally new experience when people are asking you questions that, you know, it, we were just fighting to get there, and then, you know, how did you do it? Well, I didn't figure out how we did it till a year later. I came up with a 100% success formula of how you do things. Hmm. Uh, so it was very, it was, it was a new experience and it was very nerve wracking. Did you have any, was there any blowback? Did you have any threats or anybody, you know, tell you, you know, threaten yeah, you or anything? Zero. And today they would burn your house down and I would have to take somebody out. But, hmm. uh, back then everyone was still civil. That was in 2008 before <laughs> the communists were running the country. Okay. So that's Heller one. And that, that, you know, yeah, it's a civil right, the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, Scalia wrote the decision. It was enormous. Um, so what was Heller two? Heller two and Heller three were every, uh, were a challenge, was a challenge to every, each one of the 16 elements the district could, could, uh, produced, uh, in the next month. So they had actually, I'm thinking they had prepared, uh, plan B if they lost, and they basically collected <clears throat> every gun regulation from around the country and put it into law, and we changed, we challenged all 16 of the elements, like you had to register every three years, you had to get fingerprinted every six years, or vice versa, and you had to have a certain kind of uh, vision, and there were just 16 elements that you can see in uh, hellerguncase.org, it's got them all listed. And just so people know, like D.C., your laws are made by Congress, right? It's not a city council. The city council had was given home rule in the '90s. So what they basically do is they have they have like a the equivalent of a state government in the little city council of 13 members, and as long as they do don't do anything egregious, um, like demand to be a state, then the Congress pretty much leaves them alone. But you were suing, but but the, it was Congress in 1976 that passed that that law, right? No, that no? was that was DC passed the law. Okay, and nobody raised an eyebrow in Congress. So what's it like to own a gun? I you know, let's say I move into Washington D.C. downtown Washington D.C. tomorrow. Um, what's it like now? Can I bring a gun? Can I buy a gun? What what are what are some of the hurdles, or what's yeah, it like? They, we, uh, I'll give you an example. We threatened uh, Heller 4 was I challenged them on the ghost gun. Uh, I had been harmed. They didn't produce my um, – the FFL was directed to return the uh, Polymer 80 gun back to the retailer in uh, North Carolina. So I had been harmed. We challenged them on it, and they just rolled over 
like within a few days. Uh, wow. I, you know, that's kind of the reputation uh, that we have for winning. Are there gun shops in D.C.? There are no gun shops, but to answer your question, you simply bring your gun into town and register it within like 48 hours. Maybe it's 24, probably 48 hours. Just uh, go down and register it. Keep it at home and register it, and you're good to go. They'll run a NICS test on you and give you a registration number, which I think is unconstitutional. But you go up up the ladder one rung at a time. Right? So, so how do you buy, if you're not a resident of, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm missing something here. If you're not like a resident of Virginia or Maryland, how do you, how do you go to a Virginia gun shop and buy, buy a gun? Oh, real simple. You just, you just uh, get one, like, I know what I want, so I order on the internet, or I go across the river to America and go to Northern Virginia Gun Shop, and you make your purchase, and then they have a, a a partner FFL inside the District of Columbia. Oh, I see. Handle the transfer and they register it and blah blah blah. And I get you. Pick. What about carrying? Are, is 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 are con, uh, concealed carry permits even is is that a thing? Oh sure, yeah. In DC. And you asked that. I just wrote a letter today. I'm getting ready to send to uh, the police chief. Um, my when my CCL expired, uh, I renewed it. And all of a sudden, I find out it takes a minimum of six. They're going to take the full 60 days um, allotted by law to reissue me. So I have to walk around the streets naked. Mm, yeah, I know. It, it's weird. I, I was uh, my CCW ex- expired and I was I was uh, permitless for like two or three weeks. And it's weird when you carry every day for a couple of years and then you can't. It's it actually it feels very strange. You feel very vulnerable. Yeah. And let me correction. You realize just how vulnerable you are. Well, and here we're in the middle of of uh, the revolutionary swamp. Yeah. And when they were burning down statues, I'm on one of the main streets, three blocks from the Lincoln statue. Mm. I had a gun at every window. I was ready. So what? By, what do you do, by the way? What, what, what's your career? Because this I'm is a cop, dude. You're a cop, really? Yeah. For, for uh, DC uh, uh, PD. Uh, no, the federal bureau, uh, the federal prison system. Oh wow! Okay, cool. Hey, I off work at four o'clock, uh, four four p.m. this afternoon. And so that's the reference when you were saying, "Hey, if I go to work for the government, they give me a gun to protect them." <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. Wow. So you, but you were doing all this in your spare time, you know? Well, you got to do. You know, you you know. Every time I think about, well, it gets a little dreary sometimes. I think of those poor fellows. And Valley Forge, don't get me crying now, walking through the snow with bleeding feet. Mm. Give me a break. Everybody should be doing something. And that's exactly why I brought that up, because what you did was enormously uh, important. Um, do, you have, do you have another segment in here? Because I want to talk about, uh, I want to you know, touch on some of the particulars a little bit, talk about the changes. I want to hear what you have to say about some of the proposals that are coming up. Um, but then I, I kind of want to talk about like you know how how you feel about some of this stuff because you know you're you're ju- you were just a guy you know you were just a guy living in Washington D.C. You and your buddy just had an idea and boom, you know you guys changed the world. And I want to hear a little bit more about how you feel about that. So can you hang w- with us and go one more segment? Sure. You want to go to nine o'clock? Our time, yeah. Well, no, your time. No, we're <laughs> only here till six. Give well, me a break. <laughs> I've been on for six hours. <laughs> hang in there, buddy. 
Folks, you are listening to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. All right, folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1. AM 1170. The answer. Hey, do you ever wish cleaning your guns was easier? Clean lube and protect your guns with Seal One. Seal One CLP Plus is natural, non-toxic, and environmentally friendly. Clean your guns easier and faster. You'll also smell so better. And something your wife will appreciate. One and done with Seal One. Ask for it by name at your local gun shop or get some on their website. Seal1.com, that's seal, the number one.com. We're here with Dick Heller, uh, as in Heller versus D.C., extremely important Second Amendment decision from the Supreme Court. Okay, so we're waiting on another Supreme Court decision that has to do with with guns that uh, could be tomorrow, could be a week from tomorrow, but uh, most people believe that it's going to be in, you know, it's coming here in June. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, it'll probably, if they follow their pattern, it'll be the last day and the last week of the session. And from what I was hearing, listening uh, uh, on um, on broadcast of the hearing back on November the 3rd, what we found was the New York, uh, the lady, the New York attorney, I guess she was the attorney general or assistant deputy attorney general, she made some very disingenuous statements, and Alito, Alito caught her on it. And they were asking the kinds of questions uh, that said, well, why not this, why not that, which sort of puts us in a rather maybe narrowly, narrowly, narrowly tailored position, but sort of uh, pro-Second Amendment because Alito – is very pro-Second Amendment. As a matter of fact, in the Massachusetts Catano stun gun case, he wrote a um, a separate opinion uh, called a concurring opinion where he put in there the phrase, anything that you use to protect your life cannot be unconstitutional. Hmm. Interestingly, to show that laws might change but principles don't, don't change, that is almost word for word what Marcus, uh, uh, forgot his name, my, one of my, Cicero, Marcus Cicero said uh, 50 years before Christ, he said nearly the same thing. He said nothing to protect your life is, is immoral. So, so you think that it's going to, you think the decision is going to go our way and you think it's going to, I think it'll probably change uh, firearms, you know, carry the way that your case changed ownership, don't don't you think? Uh, it has to to some effect, but you just never know. You, you just, don't know that's a fact. You never know. You don't know, uh, and unless there's some spies like the lefties in the uh, the uh, abortion uh, release, everything is honorable and kept close to the chest until the time to. Uh, to release until the release date. So let me ask you a couple of questions. We got actually got a couple of questions for you. Action Jackson, nine years old, shoots every week. He's got a question for you, Dick. Certainly. Oh, what's your favorite gun? Good question. 
Ah, very good question. It's the question, uh, Jackson, that I ask everyone. Uh, I am an instructor, so uh, I think the best instructors start off with a revolver for their students. So my favorite gun, of course, oh, by the way, uh, I don't use 9 millimeters. I, I use 22s. Uh, and then we, I have a gun that shoots both 22s and changeable cylinders, uses magnums, and it has almost the same uh, muzzle energy, I call it horsepower, as a 9mm without all the recoil and the artillery noise. So I train um, all my students on, um, on revolvers and 22s, and my favorite gun is my million-dollar Supreme Court gun, of course. Yeah, yeah the, the one that you were describing earlier. Yes. Okay. So, do you, you know, what are what are your thoughts on, you know, California? I, how do I, I don't know how to put this, and, and maybe maybe you don't have an answer, and that's okay. But you know, I think a lot of people kind of wonder, like, well, gee, you know, the Heller thing happened in two thousand eight, McDonald happened in two thousand ten, saying, hey, you gotta you gotta apply the Heller decision against the states, and here we are in in California, ten years later, and it feels like things are worse than they were. Do you, yes. do you what, what do you, what do you do you do you think about that much or what are your thoughts on that? I do. It just so happens that are you all familiar with Alan Alexander Beck in San Diego? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, you've got one of the one of the two brightest minds on the Second Amendment, in my opinion, and uh, he uh, uh, chats with my other lawyer here in uh, in Virginia. Uh, 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 w. J. Olson, William J. Olson, and uh, with with a team like that, <laughs> the best counsel on the planet. So he's the perfect one to ask your questions of. Yeah, well, and we're working our way through. And of course, you know, we we gun owners radio. Uh, I, I I work for and run uh, San Diego County Gun Owners, and we have cases against our assault weapons ban and against our pistol roster and against the under 21. You know, we, we, we're at, we have five lawsuits rolling here. And no, I don't think any of that would have happened without without your case, without the Heller versus D.C. case. I think we'd all still be kind of hoping and praying, and, and uh, there'd still be this ridiculous argument. Which, by the way, what are your thoughts on that? Before Heller, there was an absolute, um, you know, argument from the other side saying, hey, 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 there's no individual right. It's it. They were talking about a collective right, and and as long as we have the national guard, uh, you know, then then we you, civilians don't have to own firearms. I have the answer for that. You know, most people don't pay much attention to Miller, and I read as much as I can, and I never thought much of Miller, but then you have a case there in California, Virginia, Duncan, yeah, uh, against uh, the Mags, the, uh, sure. Attorney- are you familiar with that case? Yeah, I, I I know I know her actually personally, and and the uh, the the normal capacity mag case, absolutely. I'd like to meet her, but anyway, we have a brief to the Supreme Court supporting her certiorari, so uh, to get her case heard in the Supreme Court, and in this brief with uh, the Heller Foundation name on the front, by the way, <clears throat> uh, you should read that by Bill Bill Olson. Um, the Miller Court had no misunderstanding of the purpose of the Second Amendment, and they cited an 1840 case which explains exactly why military-grade weapons are critical in the hands of civilians. Yep. 
to protect the public liberty and to keep in awe those who are in power uh, and to maintain the supremacy uh, of the laws and the Constitution. So correct me if I'm wrong, Dick. I just wanted for the for the audience. The Miller case is the, the was the the decision that actually allowed um, allowed to like for example ban short barreled shotguns. They said, hey, you know what? Th- we we should be able to ban this. Um, but the, the interesting thing and in what you what you're what you're bringing up here, which I always thought was very interesting too, is the reason they can ban short barreled shotguns is because they don't serve a military serv- uh, purpose. And, and basic, you know, basically saying, hey, that's the reason for the Second Amendment, right? Uh, that is the reason for the Second Amendment. And having lived in Europe and walked through some of the warfare trenches, I can't think of a better trench warfare gun than a sawed-off shotgun. Well, I, and I agree there. But but the, the, the principle, what you're saying is I think a lot of the anti-gunners have used Miller against the pro-Second Amendment uh, folks, but, but I, it, it's, it, I think it should be flipped right on its ear. It's actually a very pro-Second Amendment uh, yeah. decision, even though it resulted in banning a uh, you know, short-barreled shotguns. Now, once your decision came out and the other side flipped and said, oh, no, 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 we always knew it was, a, it was an individual right, but we can still restrict it severely, what were your thoughts on that? That's what they do. Uh, I, I, as soon as we walked outside the Supreme Court and we were in front of the microphones and we had our uh, you know, 10 minutes, uh, great day for America, um, and great day for the citizens of D.C. and all that. Then uh, the mayor of D.C., um, Mayor Fenty, gets on his soapbox, and he says, he said, well, you have your guns. And he's all puckered up like he's just sucking on a lemon. He says, but we have gun control in a very <laughs> snarly way. And look, I was just a neophyte. I didn't know anything. I said, oh, my God, what just happened? We won, and now we get this. What does that mean? And it went downhill again. And then that's uh, – so one month later, we had to file Heller too. Yeah. And what's the purpose of the Heller Foundation? Uh, We are fundraising and try to be a little educational. Mm -hmm. Um, or all our next cases, as soon as as soon as the New York case is released, we've got a couple more. Yeah. That decision will sort of help us determine which 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 direction we go in our next lawsuit. And I think one of the one of the other things about the uh, New York decision, the Kerry decision, is it's going to uh, dictate how how courts look at Second Amendment cases from here on out. And we're hoping that they basically stick to the text. Right? Is that the idea? what I like to say. Uh, Governments will eliminate bad guys' guns as effectively as they've uh, eliminated bad guys uh, pushing drugs. You can't disarm the good guys and leave the bad guys running the country. And what I say, my my new soundbite is, uh, uh, I think I sent it, uh, if I can remember it, to Thomas Massey today, I said, Thomas Massey, please tell the uh, the council, uh, the the, um, the house, that have AOC and Pelosi go down into the city and deliver a gun registration form to the Crips and the Bloods, <laughs> and then come back and talk to me. Yeah, I wonder how that's going to work out. <clears throat> That's funny. Well, Dick, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for doing what you did to make that case happen. 
Uh, I know it was a huge sacrifice. I, it, it sounds like you found your calling in life, which is wonderful, but I know it was an enormous sacrifice, but I can't tell you how valuable and important it was to the rest of the country. Thank you for coming on and talking to us, Dick. Certainly my pleasure. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. This is Gun Owners Radio. Don't touch that dial. FM Welcome back to Hour 2 of Gun Owners Radio with your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Germisi, and Michael Schwartz. Visit GunOwnersRadio.com with your questions and comments or to learn how to become a sponsor of the show. Time to get involved and get active. Together, we will win. Now here's Dave, Joe, and Michael on The Answer San Diego. All right, folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 11.70, the answer. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Let's get a grip on this topic with Joe next. But first, a lot of companies are very frustrated with their website. It looks old, it's out of date, and it's not getting any customers. Well, SageTree gets it. Since 2005, SageTree has been helping companies with websites that look great, work great, and get leads. Stop being frustrated by your website and get one that you're proud to share. Contact SageTree today to get websites that makes the phone ring. Getting started is easy. Call 866-728-9100. That's 866-728-9100. And you can fix your website today. Are you going to ask? Nope. Not gonna ask me what's uh, going on. All right, I'll I'm, tell you what's happening. Somebody, somebody ask him. <laughs> All right, Ashley Jackson, ask Action. him what he wrote. What did he write? <laughs> yeah, say, Joe, what'd you write? So, what did you write? All right, so, uh, <laughs> so wrote a little bit about uh, expecting different results from um, from doing the same stuff over and over again, and um, you know, talking about the uh, the latest mass murder event, I guess we just had in uh, Texas. Uh, you know, the reaction is always the same from certain. Um, parties i guess is you know it's always the the screaming the calling for more gun control stuff and you know if it was just if if the desire was okay we have to do it because that's the argument you always hear we have to do something um i remember riding there was a group um i used to cycle with a lot and i remember um you know we do these three four hour rides and i remember talking to a guy we were cycling and he was he was kind of you know to the left a little bit of me anyway and um you know, we were talking about, about guns and things, and, and his argument was, well, we just have to do something. And then, so the engineer in me comes out, right? So I, I, I ask, okay, if, if you, there's a problem you're trying to address, and you know that this something that you're proposing doesn't address the problem, will have no effect, zero. Would you still do it? And he says, yes, absolutely. And, you know, at that point, I, I just kind of drifted away and let him ride on. But, um, you know, it's you. You do things. You know, this this idea that we do something, and it really doesn't. Uh, you know, if you're going to address a problem, well, let's let's do things that address the problem and see if we could, um, 
you know, make things a little bit better. And, you know, when it comes to gun control and stuff, you have to remember that I, I, you know, and I try not to be cynical like this, but I think I've been doing this long enough now to, to understand that the, the idea isn't to make things better. Um, the stuff with gun control, you know, coming from that one area of uh, the political spectrum, it's not, it's not about increasing public safety. It's not about impeding criminals. It's about disarming the public. I mean, that, and that's all it's about. And so, you know, it's interesting because when we talk about let's have a discussion and um, you hear a lot about bipartisan talks on this stuff. And uh, Michael and I were just talking about this on the first segment and um, they make a big deal. OK, bipartisan discussion. But it's not it's never really a bipartisan discussion on this thing, because this happens every time there's one of these events and there's this big uproar and they talk about they want to do a bipartisan discussion and see if we can resolve something or make some progress. And but it's never really a discussion. It's, it's always the Democrats demanding more gun control. It's always the Republicans pretty much giving up everything. And um, the people that lose are the American people and not just gun owners. Um, you know, we lose a little bit of our rights, a little bit of our freedoms every time we go through this kind of cycle. And so when I was writing about it, I'm thinking, OK, what would it look like, um, you know, if we really had a, a discussion, if we really had people that really wanted to address this issue? Um, you know, what, what might that discussion look like or what might they talk about? And um, there's a couple of things that I think Americans should consider, all Americans, no matter your, uh, your political uh, feelings. But, for instance, when you have dishonest, um, you know, or willfully ignorant politicians that are doing things and you listen to what they say and you, you know they're not, it, it's hard to believe that they, they just don't know this stuff. I mean, uh, this is stuff that I can find out pretty easily and I can research pretty easily. And when you hear politicians that have a number of, you know, staff people on access to a lot of stuff and they're saying these things and you have to think, you know, are they really, are they being dishonest or are they really don't know? Um, which, you know, I don't know which one of those things is worse. But, for instance, there's a, um, there's a Republican rep in New York, a guy named Chris Jacobs, um, who decided he was going to go along with the Democrats in Congress and vote on this uh, severe gun control thing that they were talking about. And what happened was immediately, like within a day or two of this, um, all of his sponsors, all of his supporters on the Republican side, they pulled their endorsements, they pulled their, um, their support, and uh, Jacobs ended up um, retiring, basically, uh, pulling out of the race, saying, okay, he's not going to run for re-election again, because the, the reaction was so strong, um, you know, from the... Uh, from his supporters that felt abandoned by that kind of stuff. And that's how it's done. That's, that's something that, that Americans can do and think about when you have, you know, you have to remember, and I always make this mistake too, or I make this mistake a lot where, um, you know, I'll refer to these people as our leaders and we forget sometimes they're not our leaders. They're our representatives. We, we elect these people, we send them, um, you know, we put them in the office to represent us so they're more representatives and leaders. And when they're not representing us, then we should also take action and remove them. So that's what Jacob's uh, constituents did, which is exactly the way to do it. Um, another thing is talking about the real problem. And uh, we mentioned this a little bit, too, in the opening segment. Uh, realistically, when we have, you know, these school shootings or mass shootings, um, you know, all this kind of stuff, it's not a gun issue. And any rational person knows it's not a gun issue. It's a mental health issue. And we do a terrible, terrible job in this country um, with mental health. And 
And that's some place where we really need to be focusing. And as Americans, we really need to demand that. I was um, looking at one of the guys I read a lot is John Hinderaker from the Powerline blog. And he was writing about this last week. And he was saying that, you know, over the last 60 years, the number of beds that we have available in psychiatric hospitals in this country dropped by 96%, hmm. 96% over the last 60 years. And, you know, and there were a number of decisions. Some President uh, Reagan, I guess, made a bad decision like that with, um, you know, how that really influenced how we deal with mental health. But, I mean, that's the kind of, you know, a drop of 96%. If we had 100 beds 60 years ago, that means we'd have four beds today. Jeez. That's what a drop of 96% is. So, you know, if we're going to talk about this stuff rationally, that's what we need to be talking about. Um, if we were going to have a bipartisan discussion about this, especially with the, the um, you know, the incidents that happen at schools, then, you know, one of the first things we should be talking about is getting rid of these ridiculous gun-free zones. Uh, these gun-free, gun-free zones, um, you know, are a bigger part of the problem probably than anything else. And that's, that's the quickest, easiest, cheapest thing we could do, um, that would get us, you know, almost immediate results because, you have to remember in our society, unfortunately, the way things are, we sensationalize these things. The media sensationalizes these events. Uh, the politicians politicize these events. It makes it seem like we have many more of these events than we actually do. And if you're looking at this, you know, you try to look at this, say, from a school administrator's point of view. Okay, what do we do to make our school safe? Well, you know, people come up with these different ideas. You know, every place should have a school resource officer uh, present, each school. And, you know, and I wrote about this on an op-ed a couple of years ago on this subject uh, that was in the union. And, um, you know, if I look at, like, where I live in Lakeside, there's six schools, I think, in the district. There's two middle schools and four elementary schools. So if you're going to have a school resource officer at each of those schools, um, you know, that's 150000 to 250000 per officer at each school. So what's a, a school district supposed to do? How are they supposed to fund that? And then do you have one at each of the six schools or do you make the command decision? Well, we're only going to cover the middle schools. Well, then what happens if you have an event at one of the elementary schools? How do you explain that? So I did the calculations. Uh, if we increased the federal budget or spending, I should say, if we increased the federal uh, federal spending by, uh, by just over half a percent, we could put two to three armed officers at every single K through 12 school in the United States. I got a better idea. Teachers union pay for them. Yeah, even, well, even better. They could do that. So you read my think? article. It's very good. You'll yeah. enjoy it. Get awesome job. Com. Great job. All right, we're going to take a quick break right here on Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. All right, folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1. AM 1170. The answer. Oh, that's me. Is yeah. Hang on a second. Uh, let me put, I lost my page here. So that's what happens when it gets off here. <laughs> so uh, former candidate for sheriff, uh, Jonathan Peck, is next. But first, do you know we have a world-class training school here in San Diego? Pilots can fly almost every day. We're close to the ocean, the desert, even the mountains. And we're right next to an international border and a major military base. That's why San Diego is one of the best places to learn how to fly in the world. Learn to fly in the heart of San Diego right at Montgomery Field. Getting started is real easy. 
just give them a call, 858-569-1822, or go to Learn to Fly SDFTI. But call them at 858-569-1822 and thank them for sponsoring Gun Owners Radio. All right, just in case you were living under a rock, we had a an election on Tuesday, and one of the big uh, decisions people had to make was was for sheriff. And there were it's basically an open seat. There were seven folks who who jumped in, and one of them who uh, I'm particularly fond of is uh, is on with us, Jonathan Peck. How are you, sir? Good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, just to let so you and I just full disclosure, so everybody knows. You and I know each other. You and I uh, used to hang out in the same circles uh, years ago, kind of lost touch, but then reconnected during the election, and I was really glad to see that you, you, you jumped in. Um, but I just want everybody to know, I, I just want to talk about your experiences, talk about your thoughts, um, but none of this is prepared, right? We, we, we didn't prepare this at all. No, no, just a text message to have you on today. Yep. Okay, good. Well, so um, let I'll tell you what, let's start from the beginning. I Is it... Is, how, why, why did you jump in? Let's just say that. How, how come you jumped into the race? Well, uh, what really set it up was all the COVID measures over the last two years and being in law enforcement, watching um, basically the Constitution got thrown out for you know what they said was an emergency. Yeah. And that had really bothered me. And I, I've been fighting it within my own department as much as possible. And then I was actually approached kind of at the, the last minute for the sheriff's race by some members of my community that had looked at all the sheriff's candidates and said they couldn't you know, they couldn't support anybody and they knew my stance you know, on fighting all the COVID measures and everything. And so they, they asked me to run and I, I didn't want to at all. You know, it's, uh, politics is kind of a nightmare to me, but, um, I looked at it and said, you know, they're right. And I am kind of the only person who will run and represent these people. So I said, well, let's give it a shot and see what happens, you know? And you're a Republican, you ran as a Republican and the folks who approached you, um, in essence, are and I, I don't think we need to sugarcoat anything. It, the, the Republicans endorsed a horrible candidate, and that that is in in part at least the reason that that you were recruited to run and you ran. Is that accurate? Well, yeah. And I looked. I was looking for a reason to say no when they first approached me, and so I went and looked at the candidates, and I was looking for anybody who would have just said, "Hey, you know, government overreached." During the COVID stuff, they violated some stuff. We need to make sure that never happens again. You know, never arrest a paddleboarder on the beach again. That was a mistake, and there was nobody saying that. And so I said, "Well, I guess I got to be the guy to say that." Well, and I I got to tell you, your uh, you and I spoke right right after you you jumped in, gave me a call, and and we reconnected. And um, uh, you know, San Diego San Diego County gun owners had already gone through the endorsement process, but but you and I chatted a lot, and I was uh, I, I was I'm continue to be extremely impressed with how your campaign took off um I, impressed but not surprised because i i know who you are and i and i and i watched and and you you did a great job um but uh man it, it you know it, not only did, did did things take hold for you and you didn't have you know a million dollars in the bank um you know it's hard to raise money number one and it's you know you were you know it, it's just hard to raise money in, in any even the the perfect situation is hard to raise money, but you, uh, the people were really excited. So you got a lot of people on your side really quick without spending money, and they were really excited about you. What was, you know, what's your reaction to their reaction? You know, I was, I'm completely overwhelmed. When we started, it was basically me and one other guy were completely dedicated to this, and so we just went. You know, the VFW up in Ramona is the first place I spoke. 
And just the amazing response I got from just telling people, you know, that I actually want to represent them and defend their rights and that I want them to be armed because I want them protecting me when I'm out on the road by myself. And that just resonated so much with people. I didn't expect that. I thought the constitutional sheriff thing would kind of be a fringe thing. And it turns out there's an incredible amount of people who just they want that so badly to have a sheriff that represents the people and not a sheriff that just kind of does the bidding of the politicians. And, you know, you're a legit gun guy, too. I know that firsthand for a fact, um, and it was really, really nice and refreshing. Um, it always is nice and refreshing to hear anyone running for office unapologetic about their stance on the Second Amendment, and I'm so glad that it resonated with so many people. i got to tell you, we got, you know, we got a lot of feedback. You know, we get a lot of emails, phone calls, texts, Facebook messages, Instagram messages, blah, blah, blah. Everybody, you know, communicates with us, which I invite. I love it. I think our, our members and our followers are uh, really engaged with our organization. That's fantastic. But by far, we got a lot, a lot, a lot of inquiries about about you. And I never had a bad word to say, you know, and said, yeah, he's a legit 2A guy. And, um, you know, uh, check him out. Here's here's what we did and why we did it. But check him out. And, uh, you know, you and I talked throughout. Um, and uh, what, did, what did you learn? What, what, what kind of things did you learn uh, when you were running for office here? Because this is the first time you've ever done anything political, right? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely the first time. Um, you know, I just learned that there are so many great people out there, and there's really an awakening going on in the last couple of years. And I had no idea how that was going to translate into votes. And then, you know, with the mail-in ballots for everyone, who knows, you know, who knows where that leads in the future of California. But um, – you know, I learned there's a lot of people out there that didn't feel represented, and I'm kind of looking at how best to serve those people now. Um, I'm still working law enforcement full-time, so it's hard to do that. I'm just kind of looking at you know how I can repay these people for being so supportive of me. Well, hey, Jonathan, this is Joe, and I just wanted to, to say to you that um, you know I know you didn't make it this time, but I hope you're going to stay involved and engaged, and I hope you're going to continue um, – in some form here in our political process, because our, our, our system is, is broken. Our party is broken out here. And what we need are people exactly like you that have exactly the character and exactly the positions that you have to get involved here and help us um, get things fixed, basically, and get this back. You know, they're talking about a, uh, a red, uh, what are they calling it, a tsunami here in, um, red in November. And somebody yesterday was saying it, it's hopefully will be more like a red reset because it doesn't matter. You don't want to get the same old people back in office again. It doesn't do anything. We need people that feel the way you do and think the way you do in office to change things. So um, I hope you're still you're going to stay with us here, Jonathan. I hope you're not gone after this. No, I'll stick around in some form. You know, I, I see, uh, you know, mostly the gun grab that's being attempted right now is it makes me wonder what's what they're planning to where they don't want the people to be armed. So, uh, you know, I think even though I'm in law enforcement, I'm exempt from all this stuff. You know, everyone I care about, almost everyone I love, you know, they're they're kind of uh, held down by all these stupid gun laws in California. So, you know, I'm a huge advocate for it, even though it doesn't affect me, you know, directly. Did you get any pushback uh, while you were running from your from your employer? No, I think they're afraid of me. Like, uh, you know, it's illegal for them to do anything to me for this, but, you know, they always have their ways of coming at you some other way. But luckily I have an extremely clean record in my job, and so it'll be really hard to do that. But, you know, saying the things I'm saying, you know, nobody, nobody at the tops of any department likes that. So uh, we'll see. Hopefully nothing happens. <laughs> 
It was, uh, and, and I, it seemed like. Did you? What was your strategy? Talk a little bit about your strategy. It seemed like you were getting <laughs> votes from. Um, there seemed to be a church element, and there seemed to be a rural element. But talk a little bit about your strategy. So it started out just going anywhere anyone would let me speak and just speaking what I believe to be true. And it turns out that's kind of an anomaly in politics, so a lot of people responded to that. But what ended up happening is a lot of the uh, health freedom people, you know, over the COVID uh, lockdowns and everything, all those health freedom people, everybody who had their churches closed, you know, people who had businesses closed, people who don't like their kids wearing masks, all those people kind of flocked to me and said, you're the only one saying this was wrong for the government to do this to us, and you're the only one saying you would step up and prevent that as sheriff. And so that was really kind of my base that I didn't even know was going to be my base. That's interesting. What was uh, – so that was the most – would you say that the, the, the COVID stuff was the most common asked question when people – when you say, hey, I'm running for sheriff, was that the most common question? Well, that and CCWs. Yeah, so yeah. My position, my position is, hey, the Second Amendment says nothing about you asking your government permission to keep and bear arms. There's, there's no way to read it and assume that's what they meant. And – so I said it would be unlawful for the sheriff to enforce California's illegal gun laws. And then the next question I always got was, but what about CCWs? Interesting. Yeah, it's uh, – um, I used to get that all the time too. I mean, we, we they're finally issuing – you know, there's still some hoops to jump through, but the, the, the way I put it is uh, there's still some hoops to jump through, but now the hoops are big enough so everyone can fit. Um, yeah. And for, you know, you, you, you know, you've seen me. If I can fit through the hoop, anybody can fit through the hoop, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, I used to get that question all the time. I mean, I would, my, my, you know, I'd tell people, yeah, I could, you know, I could, uh, I could go up there and, you know, read, you know, the cure for cancer. And the first question would be, how do I get my CCW? I mean, people really, really want to know. And not just Republicans and not just, you know, a certain type of people. I mean, it was every, everybody, all ages, every, you know, every background, every, every kind of political, people wanted to know, Hey, how can I defend myself? And it, it, it cuts across party lines. Are you now you were a Republican. I got to tell you, one of the things I, I'm hoping you'll do is get really, really, really involved in the local Republican party. What are, what are your thoughts as, as far as the future? Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Obviously uh, they need some help. You know, something needs to change in the local Republican party because there've been a lot of great candidates and they've, you know, mentioned that the Republican Party locally only cares about how much money you can raise, not about, you know, your stance as a candidate. And that needs to change because it seems like the Republican Party is just kind of professional losers in California, putting up, you know, watered down candidates and, you know, nobody that really stands apart from the Democrats and nobody who, you know, real conservatives can get behind and get excited about and, you know, maybe even go on a freeway overpass with a sign for free and campaign for them. Well, there's an enormous disconnect between the Republican Party and Republicans. Republicans think that the Republican Party enforces their platform and vets candidates with any kind of competence, and neither of those are true. The Republican Party does not do that. Uh, Jonathan, we're going to bring you over to the next segment, man. Stay with us. Awesome. Thanks. All right, folks. This is Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The Answer. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. PRMI Mortgage, com Alpine. Hey, if you're looking to buy, refi, or if you're just considering a reverse mortgage, call our local mortgage guy that you can trust. 
Call Chris Wiley at PRMI Mortgage. For nearly 25 years, Chris has been helping local San Diegans with all their mortgage needs. They make it easy. Work with a friendly expert team that will help you get the best deal on a mortgage. Call Chris Wiley at 619-722-1303 or just go to primeres.com slash Alpharton. All right, we're talking to a uh, former candidate for sheriff in San Diego here, Jonathan Peck, and we were just talking about uh, how everything went. So what was the best part? What did you enjoy most about running for office? Um, I loved saying things that nobody else could say. Yeah, <laughs> talk about that. Amazing feeling. We'll talk, um, we'll talk about like why why can't people what why can't they say what you were saying? So I, I've been on a patrol guy, so I've driven a patrol car the last nineteen years, so I haven't had to uh, take a knee to climb the ladder at all. And anyone who uh, climbs the ladder in any government organization kind of has to uh, watch what they say just to make sure they don't you know step on the toes of the people who got them there. So I was able to go out and just say anything I wanted, and uh, you know one of one of the candidates ended up you know using some of my answers at a thing we were speaking at together too because he saw the response i was getting from people and the lack of response he was getting <laughs> so he, he, he was cheating off your your paper there yeah yeah it was some of my stuff from the union tribune so J- action jackson nine years old one of our co-hosts here he shoots every uh every wednesday he goes shooting with his nine millimeter glock and he wants to he wants to confirm that you are in fact a legit gun guy john so go yeah. ahead what's your question uh, what's your favorite gun? Good question. Good question. My favorite gun is my Savage B-17. I know this is going to be controversial, but it's my favorite because I teach my kids to shoot with it. And it's uh, it's dead on accurate to about 185 yards, and the kids can still hit aluminum cans to 200. Whoa. No recoil, dead accurate, and I can shoot it with no ear protection, although I wouldn't recommend it for people with good ears. That's awesome. What do you think? Is he a legit gun guy, Jackson? go shooting with him you'd go shooting with him good deal all right you passed the test good job well, thank you thank you that's the important part so we got a lot of heat from from uh, folks that really liked you and I, I was glad to see it i love seeing people that are passionate about the second amendment but we definitely got heat from folks who said hey how come you didn't endorse uh you know peck you know and uh so let's let, let let's you know the, the tough question i mean what are your thoughts on san diego county gunners i know we didn't endorse you um, and, uh, you know, but what are your thoughts on, on our organization and, you know, do you have a critique for us or do you have any advice going forward or, or do you, are any animosity or what are your thoughts? Well, I'm a member and I'm still a member, you know, I was a member before this started, um, because you, you know, endorsed before I even entered the race, I can't fault you at all for not endorsing me. It would have been awesome if you said, no, no, we like this guy instead and pulled the endorsement, but I understand why you didn't do that. Um, yeah, I'm going to remain a member. You know, I wish, well, I would like to see people start advocating for the Second Amendment as it is written instead of kind of asking permission. I know your big focus is CCWs, but if we can get enough people together to say, no, this is all you know, unconstitutional and it shouldn't be done, we could at least put some pressure on politicians to uh, you know, do a little better here in California. I, I don't disagree with what you just said. I mean, I, w- I would love that. It just it feels like that's, uh, you know, we're on getting CCW so that everyone could get a CCW in san diego you know is is you know you're that, that's like step 100 and and we're on like step three you know oh, yeah, um sure. and it's uh it's i it's a huge victory and i i don't like the hoops that you have to jump through to get the ccw i think the supreme court is probably going to take away one of those hoops here in about a week or two um i think that the supreme court decision with the with the you know the new york case is probably going to completely eliminate good cause 
And I, I think that's wonderful. But this is a really good example of how, you know, activists can get something done in a, you know, in a positive manner. And, you know, we don't have to rely on courts. Courts are going to complement the situation. But uh, but I don't disagree with what you said. I I, I'm, I know you're passionate about the Second Amendment. And, and uh, you know, it's really, really good to hear. And thank you so much for, for understanding. I was I was really impressed by your uh, by your campaign. And I was really impressed by the folks who um, who, uh, you know, who supported you. And it really got to the point where. Um, I'd talk to people and say, well, he, you know, here's the deal, you know, and, and yeah, I know Jonathan and he's a legit two a guy. And it kind of got to the point where I said, you know, if, if you don't like, um, if you, if you can't vote for a Democrat, then just don't vote for the Republican that, that you know, that they endorsed definitely, you know, at least vote for Jonathan, you know, if I, if there's yeah. no way I can convince you to vote for a Democrat, okay, fine. You know, I get it. There are other things, there are other issues that weigh into this thing other than the second amendment, but we're a second amendment organization. So, you know, vote for Peck for sure. Absolutely. He's a, he's a really great guy. And I think that, I, I, I think every single one of your votes took away from, from Hammerling. Uh, which is an in, thank you. That's an enormous accomplishment because he really is. Uh, he's a disaster. I don't know. Do you, how much do you mind going into your thoughts on on Hammerling? Uh, I'm trying to be nice, but he he rescinded his uh, family first pledge. When you know, at that point, I'm kind of like, you know what? I I at least have to say the true things that he's doing because uh, yeah, I I can't respect somebody who does that just for what, political reasons. What's the family first pledge? So the the way politicians or anyone running for office gets basically into the churches is there's or locally is there's a salt and light council who has a family first pledge, and it's basically traditional family values. You you know read it, sign it, send it into them, and then they'll start invite you to church events. And after um, the UT pulled his um, endorsement, the uh, the uh, editorial board endorsement, yeah. He apparently contacted Dran Reese, who's the head of the uh, Salt and Light Council, and rescinded his uh, family's first pledge. Yeah, that you know the funny thing it's 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 uh, uh, it's not the crime; it's the cover up. This is kind of along those lines. It wasn't so much what he said that the Union Tribune didn't like, but the fact that he couldn't explain it. And I, I got to tell you, that's kind of what we uncovered when he was on the radio show back in January. It wasn't so much what he was. Well, it was because he's he's you know this red flag law stuff is just a disaster, and and we really really there's no way we ever would have supported him considering how what a what a zealot he was for spreading uh, gun violence restraining orders. But the way he reacted to it and the kind of the mealy mouth, wishy washy way that he he just won't stand for anything. And that's exactly what the Union Tribune uh, discovered when they circle back and, and questioned him on his comments is he, he you know, the guy's got no backbone. He's got no business near authority in any any way. Hey, let's talk about red violence, uh, red violence, red flag laws, gun violence restraining orders real quick. So you've been a law enforcement officer for 19 years. What are your thoughts on gun violence restraining orders? So I believe they're a complete violation of the Second Amendment. I believe there are definitely people out there that shouldn't have guns um, that haven't committed a crime. But I, there's no one in the government I trust to determine who those people are and take their guns away. And that's, you know, my stance is you might be able to save some lives with them, but you can't violate everyone else's rights to do that. Now, being a... a 19-year veteran in you know law enforcement has there ever been a time that you have um you know you, you thought gee this person you know this whatever this criminal or whatever 
doesn't have a or shouldn't have a firearm and I'm having a hard time taking their firearms away. Does that make sense? Have you ever had difficulties? Has there ever been a need, I guess, for a gun violence restraining order? Uh, not anything I've encountered. Usually, you know, usually if you talk to people and you can determine they're a danger to themselves or others, they'll, you know, willfully go get treatment. They'll willfully, you know, surrender their guns without, you know, the actual restraining order. Well, and, and, and my, our big question, of course, when, you know, he was working for Mara Elliott, the city attorney, our big question that I, and I've said this over and over and over again is, hey, if, the, if they're violating the law, which is what you just described, um, you, can, you can already take firearms away. Law enforcement can already take firearms away. If they're not violating the law, why are we taking firearms away? And that's, that was a question she simply, I mean, she looked like a deer in headlights. Um, it was, it, you know, and I think, I think it, it all boils down. I think that's the crucial question right there. If you're not breaking the law, why are we taking away the, the, uh, the rights of, of an adult American, you know? Um, well, exactly. And where, you know, where do you draw that line? You know, throughout the last two years, how many people, you know, called us crazy for saying stuff about COVID that turned out to be true, even family members. And what if those people had said, well, this guy's dangerous. We need to take his guns. When you were right the whole time and you're not a danger to anyone, you know that's the slippery slope we're looking at with this. Yeah, no, no kidding. It really is. Are there any? Are you? What are you going to do as far as the sheriff's race from here on out? Are you going to be involved on either side, or, or is there another race um, that you like that you're going to? Are there any candidates that you want to try to help, or what are you going to do uh, as far you know leading up to the November election? Well, you know, they're technically they're 195,000 uncounted votes. Yeah. So I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not You're right. Out of it yet? My so, my uh, apologies. Let's let's say yeah, we, my apologies. You're right. Yeah, yeah. We can hope for the best um, in the sheriff's race. I don't think I don't think anyone needs help here. I think uh, people are helping themselves, and it's gonna it's gonna pan out pretty clearly what they believe in. Um, you know, I just want to get together with a lot of the uh, the candidates that had run for the first time this time. They're just awesome people who looked at everything that's going on and said, I have to do something and, you know, get with them and see what we can do as a group because most of them didn't make it through because they weren't, you know, the big money Republican candidates. So I'd like to do kind of a grassroots, you know, freedom candidate sort of thing and, you know, try to have more influence over the Republican Party. You know, there's a couple of candidates out there, I got to tell you, that would fall right in line with what you're describing. Like Amy Reichardt could definitely use some help, especially with her background and why she got into the race is, is similar to, to your, your concern about, you know, the COVID response. Um, Laura Lothian and La Mesa is technically, uh, you know, she's in office now, but she was in, she just got voted in in a special election, but she's another person we got to really work hard to, to stay in. Cause I think that she falls right in line uh, with the values that you're describing the folks that, that supported you. There are a lot of people um, uh, that, that, that meet that criteria, uh, John, that I think a lot of your folks would, 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 would love to help, uh, you know, assuming things don't go well with the, with the rest of the count, they would love to yeah, uh, jump yeah. into those, that, that race for sure. Well, then I, I'm pretty sure every single one of my supporters is also supporting Amy Reichert because, yeah. you know, Nathan Fletcher is not, not real popular in these circles. Yeah. That gets pretty horrible, man. Yeah. I've, I went to a couple, uh, of the board of supervisor meetings. I just, I can't believe how, uh, politically sleazy he is <laughs> politically sleazy that's exactly that needs to be a t-shirt right there that's exactly what he is is yeah, uh I, sorry no no go ahead what were you gonna say so i went into one of the meetings where they redefined a uh, woman is you know whoever identifies as one and i went in there and explained the jail situation to where i'm not afraid of actual you know people who think they're women and men who think they're women doing it i'm afraid of the predator men using this ordinance to get into women's jails 
Mm. And at the end, he basically accused anyone with this opinion of he likened us to the people who didn't want, you know, blacks to use the same restrooms. And it was just, you know, I'm trying to warn him that people are going to take advantage of this and abuse women in our jails. And he ended up calling me a racist, which, you know, pretty terrible. <laughs> Is there, was there anybody, uh, any uh, candidates or elected or any political types that you met uh, because of your campaign that you liked? Other than Amy yeah, Reichardt. No, there are several of them. Uh, Josiah O'Neill was running for the 51st district, I think it was. Um, he's just amazing. He's actually in law enforcement. I said, man, why weren't you running for sheriff? He's, I mean, he's a great guy. And uh, David Chittick was running in the, I think, 50th district. He's amazing, too. Cool. And, uh, Lots of them, well, Jonathan Peck, thank you so much, man. I really, truly appreciate you stepping up and doing what you did. I think that you're a, a, a gentleman, a, a scholar, and a fine judge of scotch. So thank you so much, man. I, I'm going to talk to you thank real you soon, okay? Bye, bye. All right, folks, we're going to take our last break. Gun Hunters Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio FM, 96.1 AM 1170. The answer. Hey, we live in a time where mainstream media and politicians are trying to eliminate your ability to defend yourself. Gun control laws just don't work. If laws against murder don't stop a criminal, is a magazine round limit really going to stop him? Well, making good people helpless doesn't make bad people harmless. Help us restore and defend the Second Amendment. Hit and like and subscribe the button and share the show with a friend. All right. Time for everybody's favorite segment, Stump My Nephew. Okay. Um, this is, of course, if you send in uh, a gun trivia question uh, and we use it on the air, we'll give you a hat or a shirt. If you stump my nephew, we'll give you a super cool special prize. This week's super cool special prize is uh, gun prom tickets. Again, if you don't have tickets, you can buy your gun prom tickets at gunprom.com. It's this Saturday, so uh, June 18th. So hurry up. Hurry up and buy. All right. You there, Sam? Yeah. How are you guys? Good, man. This is an interesting question. I don't think I'd put money. Usually I'd put money on you, but I don't know if, I don't know if I'd put money on you for this one. This one's a little. Well, I appreciate I'll, the vote of confidence. <laughs> I'll put money on him from this one. Hey. Yeah? Oh, if I knew it, I know he knows it. All I right. will, too. Yeah. All right, what do you want me to do? I got a quarter for Action Jackson and uh, even money a buck for with, with Joe. How about that? Oh, there you go. I'll take that. All right, you'll take it. You want any of this action, Dave? I'll take five. Five? I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> oh, that's right. How about a spaghetti dinner at Denny's? Even better. All right. They don't spare spaghetti. All right, all right, all right. Okay, let's just go for it. All right, Action Jackson, my friend, you ready to read the question? Yep, I Without am. Without further ado, go for it. All right. Who, who sent the question in first? Uh, Gibson from Los Angeles asks, what's a dum-dum? Gibson from Los Angeles. Uh, first of all, tough break. Hope you move out soon. Um, <laughs> second, a dum-dum. Uh, that, you know, that's a really fun question. Um, I think I just lost a buck 25. You may be aware <laughs> of the provision in the Hague Pact of 1899 that you are not allowed, a, a military is not allowed to use expanding bullets in warfare. And so that's usually taken to mean um, hollow point 
uh, hollow point rounds, which is why all your military handgun ammo is just FMJ. Um, there, there have been different interpretations of it, but basically the idea is that um, it was considered cruel, at, uh, unnecessarily cruel at the time to use something like a hollow point or soft point bullet that would uh, mushroom out and, and cause more devastating wounds. And the reason for that is because in colonial India, British soldiers had taken to creating what they called dum-dum bullets. Where the name comes from, I don't know, but the concept is that you would take your standard 303 British rifle round and use a knife to peel off the jacket from the front part of the bullet to create basically a soft point. Some people got more creative, some soldiers got more creative and, and started um, changing the shapes of the tips in, in an effort to get better expansion. But uh, basically the, the point is soft point bullet uh, expands in tissue. That's what a dum-dum bullet is. Okay, so I just lost a buck twenty-five in a spaghetti dinner. <laughs> Pretty much. That was an expensive bet. Oh, my gosh. The name dum-dum was used to describe a British military bullet that was developed at the dum-dum arsenal. There you go. On the northwest frontier of India in the late 1890s, it consisted of a jacketed uh, 303 rifle bullet with the jacket nose open to expose its lead core. The aim was to improve the bullet's effectiveness by increasing its expansion upon impact. The phrase dum-dum was later expanded to include any soft-nosed or hollow-pointed uh, hollow bu bullet. The Hague Convention of 1899 outlawed the use of these bullets. While soldiers are required to fire bullets, that have a full metal jacket, police or not, if hollow points hit a building, they will not ricochet, minimizing the risk of injuring other people nearby. You nailed it. I mean, just completely and totally obliterated that. I have no idea how you do this. What? Uh, how do you know that? Do you remember how you learned that? Because he's no dum-dum. <laughs> there we go. All right, so how do you remember how you know that? No, I have no idea. Most of this stuff, it, it just sticks in there, and then you mention it in the question, and I go, oh, yeah. <laughs> do you think? Do you remember the Dum Dum uh, uh, lollipops? Do you remember those? Do you think that's related? Nobody uh, remembers? I, I don't think those are related, but I'm not a candy historian, so I'm probably the wrong person to ask. <laughs> well, I now kind of wonder if those Dum Dum lollipops are 303 caliber. <laughs> I wonder if they're like little takeoffs of the of the of the bullet. They're quite a bit larger than 303 caliber, I would have to say. Yeah, that's probably true. All right. Okay, well awesome job, man. How's everything going on uh, in Virginia? What do you think about uh, did you did you have a chance to take a look at what the Senate um, is considering or I, th I think they're just about to pass as far as Yes, I um, I saw the news headline just as I was getting ready to close the store cuz I had work today. Um, basically my, my elevator pitch version of my reaction is we always, we on the pro gun side always are always told that we need to compromise. But what compromise means is that each party gives up something in exchange for an outcome that favors both more. But the pro gun side has been compromising in that we've been giving up parts of, uh, our, our right to keep and bear arms for longer than I've been alive, longer than anyone listening has been alive, um, yet we hardly ever receive anything in return. So I would like to see if, if anti-gun legislation is to be passed at the federal level, 
if that's already a foregone conclusion, um, I would at least like to see something in return, please, like deregulation of NFA items, national CCW reciprocity, all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, that seems to be, um, to, to use the, the phrase, common sense, but um, we, we never really receive anything in return See, for, that, for giving up our rights. That would be compromise, which we don't do, or we don't have, I guess. The, you know, it's interesting, you're in Virginia, right, Sam? Yes. Yeah, the, one of your, uh, you've got a real stellar guy out there, too, a guy named Bayer, I guess, who's a representative who's proposing a 1,000% tax on ARs. Uh, and his scheme is he thinks he can get it through um, through the House because they control the House. And uh, because he's calling it, I think, a fees, he's saying that he can do it through reconciliation in the Senate. Therefore, they only need 50 votes, and then Kamala is 51. But a 1,000% fee on that, that would make your $500 AR a $5,000 AR, or your $2,000 Daniel Defense AR a $20,000 AR effectively a ban. So uh, interesting people out there with proposals. Yeah, um, unfortunately. Uh, as I always like to say, a lot of the people running, uh, writing the anti-gun legislation really don't understand what they're legislating. So the analogy I use is it's like if um, the, the Department of Motor Vehicles was run by the Amish. They have no vested interest in the subject matter and, and no real technical knowledge on it either. Yeah, and it, may, it makes more sense when you think about what they're really doing, because I'm, I'm sure that guy has no interest at all in public safety or reduced crime or anything. He's trying to disarm people, and that's a good way to do it. If you can get, if you can make your, uh, you know, your your gun uh, cost twenty thousand dollars, that's a good way to disarm people. Well, I, I think really there are sort of two. Well, there are infinitely many two types of people, but there are two types of anti-gun people. There is the the group I think and I hope is in the majority of them who um, really uh, aren't very familiar with the topic and, and uh, just sort of think about it at a surface level without really having all the facts and, and without, um, without taking the time to seriously consider certain aspects of that issue that are, are far too complicated for me to address in such a short segment um, and I think just need to be educated and maybe would change their tune a little bit. And then there's the much more influential minority, I think, many of them in politics, who are just categorically anti-gun and shroud it in uh, sort of the aesthetics of public safety and pay lip service to the idea of saying, saving lives, whereas their real goal is essentially to consolidate their own power. Yeah, and I, I agree with you 100% on that take. I think that's exactly right. You're right. The other thing is that, you know, somehow this word compromise worked its way into politics, and I don't, I don't think we're our system of government was actually ever uh, designed for compromise. I think it was designed for consensus. There's an extremely important difference. Um, I don't think we should ever compromise, uh, but I do think that we should talk about consensus. And in this situation, the consensus is is that mentally ill people need need more help, and we need to figure out how to get them more help, and we need to figure out how to educate people so that they can get them more help. And and uh, you know, another one I, I think that we're pretty close to consensus on is. Uh, you know, school security, maybe not on the details, but at least the fact that, hey, schools need to be secure. But I would like to see more gun advocates and more political advocates talk less about compromise and more about consensus. Well, again, so, but a way, a, a way to look at that, too, is, you, you know, you compromise on policy. Uh, you don't compromise on principle. 
And, um, you know, the compromise thing works if both sides are trying to achieve the same thing. They just have different ideas about how to get there. And we don't have that today. Well, if what you're trying to achieve is ban guns, then you're never (laughs) (laughs) going to. I mean, we're never, ever going to get there. Thank you so much, Sam. Awesome job. Extremely good commentary at the end there. And uh, I can't believe you knew what a dum-dum was. But, you know. Look at the look at the the family line you come from. Of course, you know what a dum dum is. I don't know what that means. I don't know where we're going with that. Anyway, thanks a lot for calling, Sam. Thanks for having me on. Um, keep writing in the questions, everyone. Thanks for listening. All right. Well, hey, folks, subscribe to our show and give us a five star review. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify. And do us a favor: support all our great sponsors. San Diego County, Orange County, Inland Empire, Gun Owners, the Dillon Law Group, PRMI Mortgage, Sage Street Digital Marketing, Seal One, Leo Hamill Fine Jewelry, San Diego Flight Training International. Thanks to Joe Dramisi, Michael Schwartz, Sam the Gunman, Action Jackson, and Brendan Thomas. And don't touch that dial. The man is coming up next right here, Mr. Siegel, right here on Gun Owners Radio FM 961 AM 1170. The answer. This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl.